0: following podcast contains coarse language and strong opinions on wine. Seriously, these two have potty mouths and little self-control. Listeners, you've been warned. Live from our basement studios here in suburban Chicago, it's another edition of That Wine Pod. I'm Pete, and sitting across from me, the Reichsfirst of Riesling, Vino Mike.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show.
0: So I don't, I don't speak German. So that was a completely <laughs> butchered name, but it means like prince or Ooh. princess in, in I German. just
1: want your Reichsfirst. Extra wine and your. <laughs>
0: Dude, I'm. There we go. So first we get you singing for us, and second we get to tackle. That's what I.
1: I mean, Prince just pops in your head, right?
0: Absolutely. Um, We get to tackle one of. I mean, my personal favorite, varietals in the world. Right on. So I can't. I don't think we've done this, and I can't believe
1: it. This varietal. No. Have we had one of these on the show before?
0: I, I don't think so. So, dude, why don't you introduce us to what's in that bottle?
1: Today, in that bottle, we have a producer from Germany, as Pete, you alluded to. I think I'll give everybody a moment to guess what the grape is in their own earbuds or however you're listening to the show right now. I bet you can guess what it is coming from Germany. Um, The producer is one of the greats, actually. Uh, Donhoff, the Donhoff family. And we'll get into a lot of the different wines that they make. But this one is called the Oberhauser Lichtenberg Riesling Cabinet 2010 from the Nahe.
0: So, dude, I think you just besides people having a preconceived notion of Riesling. So let's just get let's just get some of these things out on the table. All right. Right.
1: Cards on the table time.
0: First of all. It is pronounced Riesling, or some <laughs> variation thereof. Not Riesling.
1: Thank you for clarifying that.
0: There's very few things in the world that get to me, but people saying Riesling, I don't know why, it gets to me. But it sounds like a like something Jim Henson would have come up with, like the Rieslings. Um, so I don't I don't know why it bothers me. It does. So just putting that on the table. What really grinds my gears is really usually part of of uh, this show. Yeah. Um, so like, that like Pinot Noir. So so that second thing is not all Riesling is sweet. It's not. So can we knock off? I don't like Riesling because it's sweet. So please just take a breath. Please listen in. Vino Mike's gonna school you, or as they say in other parts of the of the country, he's gonna learn you um, <laughs> about about the the Riesling grape. Can we drop in some hip hop background music? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want to pay the royalty. Pitbull's always charging me. Um, And then third, uh, Riesling is super intimidating because their labels have 800 names on them. Yeah. Unless you buy things like, uh, you know, Blue Nun. Right. Which then is sweet. Yeah. And cloying and not made well. Right. And and but really classic Riesling, not just from Germany. Yeah. Austria, the United States. Piedmont, um great there's great uh uh Australia. Yeah. Some of the great values in dry Riesling come from Australia. Different parts of the world, it's so intimidating because they get so specific, but it's also one of the coolest things. If you just take a minute, don't let that intimidate you. Yeah. You could really learn a lot about what's in the bottle before you even, you know, kind of get to it, because they classify everything for you and and, and you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's my preamble to you actually giving knowledge that matters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that matters quite a bit. And it's really interesting point when it comes to Germany, especially you see the word Riesling on the label, but it's not like taking over the whole label. It's not like Riesling and then everything else under it. It's the grape they use. What's more important with Germany is where it comes from, if you're going to get that specific, which we're getting that specific today on this show, and also the level of ripeness that the Riesling is picked at from the vineyards. That's another interesting point that matters, that is rarely, if ever, indicated on bottles of Riesling that come outside of Germany and Austria. Austria is... Also has some pretty good labeling terms and they follow some some stricter regulations and laws when it comes to picking the grape off of the vine um, with how ripe the grape is, basically. And all of that good stuff really does explain more about what you're getting. But I will say, man, when it came to Germany and the wine exams... I was, it was my Achilles for sure.
0: Dude, it's, I've been in this business for 18 years, just no, 17 years, Mm. one way or another. And I've been drinking wine longer than that and loving it. I love Riesling. Yeah. And other than the rudimentary kind of blocks, if you will, and then things that I just recognize from drinking wine, like, I don't know. Squat because it's just so much. Yeah. And so instead I just concentrate on producers, importers, and then the, the ripeness levels, if you will. There you go.
1: There you go. That's like, just know those three to, you know, to, you know, everyone listening, that's great, great advice when it comes to Riesling from Germany because it is so complicated and complex. There's no way I'm going to sit here and learn you on the ins and outs of German wine law. And I also will say, like, your one of your favorite grapes is Riesling, right? I would agree with you know i'm i'm of that opinion too one of one of my favorites in the world is riesling grape varieties we're talking about right we got to break down we got to get past like riesling can be ordered like coca-cola just like pinot grigio we've talked about that on the show right of a glass of riesling Uh, you know it's way more specific and intricate than that but It's really complicated when it comes to Germany. So just breaking it down and knowing what did you say again? Let's let's say that again because I really think that's a great point.
0: Yeah. So I I really concentrate on understanding and knowing producers.
1: Yes. Importers. 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 Second,
0: right? Um. I mean, no particular order, right? Like I might turn the bottle around and see Terry Thies. Yeah. And then know like I don't. Oh, I don't know this producer, but I know Terry Thies. Yeah. Or I might say, oh, I know this producer. And I don't know the importer. Yeah. Right. So that's why both, that's two separate things. And then, you know, what can be defined as the, the, the harvest time, right? The ripeness levels, the ripeness levels, you know, from, uh, just understanding what those terms are and what they mean.
1: And we'll, we'll definitely get into that a little bit. Um, but it is so crazy. So I just got to say, when I took the master sommelier exam for the second time, And after the first time, you know, you get one under your belt, you get a little bit better idea. The second time is when I really went all in. I literally got a hotel room by myself for three days, locked myself in it, and did nothing but Germany. In order to try to give myself as much of a chance or an advantage when it came to possibly having to field a question about German wine. Because it goes beyond some of the more simpler stuff that you and I know already.
0: So I was pretty sure you were going to say, I got a hotel room by myself for three days and bathed in Riesling.
1: <laughs> I maybe just should have. I should have done that because I didn't get no Master Salmi A-pin that day. So fuck, man. <laughs>
0: You'd be embarrassed of that shit anyway, uh, right? Uh, no, but, but that,
1: that's like where my mind was to try to get this subject to a point and the point, the other point I'm trying to make that you were saying, you've got your three or four main points that you look for the, the people I know in my wine world, um, whether it's somebody in the industry or not, the ones that really love Riesling are tend to be industry people. Right. I've yeah. never known like a customer or a non um, industry wine person to be totally geeked out on Riesling. They're out there and they exist. Yeah. But the, I, I don't know any.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't know any like good friends or something that are into into it that way. But I do know a few customers. So whenever we would get this stuff in, I would basically just let them know. Yeah. And then that was that, right? Yeah. They would take whatever we had. Um, it, it would be gone. So I'd try to sell a little bit of it so that it would hopefully find a new, somebody like a new fan, right? But then... When it was there for a couple of weeks or a month, I would just go to that person and say, here's what I got. And they would, you know, there's two or three of them that would just take whatever you had. Yeah. Because those that know, know. And it's one of the, in general, very good Riesling is one of the most ageable wines in the world.
1: Yeah. So let's get right into that. We've got ourselves, I th- I think, upon nosing it, it's absolutely gorgeous, but a little bit of a a kid still a, uh, you know, a puppy. I mean, this is a 2010 vintage um, by one of the greats, Don Hoff. Now, they're located in a part of Germany called the Nahe based on the river that's there, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think so, too. Versus the Rhine. Versus the Rhine. This is kind
1: of what Germany is all about. It's about these rivers and tributaries and then these villages that are located along the river. So when you look at the label of a German wine, when it gets to this level, we've got two words on here. Oberhauser-Liestenberg. The first word... Whether it's these two or two different names on another bottle of Riesling, the first word represents the village, a larger geographical area where the vineyards are located around and usually close to the river. The second word tends to be the vineyard itself called the Einzelaga. The The first word, the village, is called the the Grosslaga. No, that's the... the uh, See, I told you. Yeah. Like, even even three days in a hotel room and I'm like stumbling and fumbling over my words right
0: now. Well, and I'm not even sure it matters, right? I think that that's yeah. the point, right? Like yeah. you you still know and love these wines, have been able to sell them and appreciate them without knowing that level. But to, to put it in perspective, Oberhauser would be... Like talking about, um, uh, like Napa Valley, right? Like kind of an area. I would say it would be or more like more talking like about Rutherford. Um, Yount, yeah.
1: Like, a, like, Youngville, right? Let's say. Like a town, right? There's a town. So
0: Nahe is more like Napa Valley. Yes. And then you come to Oberhauser, which would be like Yountville, Yountville. or Rutherford or whatever. And then you get down to a vineyard designate, right? Right. Um, so just, you know, pick a, uh, you know, a famous vineyard and like Tokalon. Tokalon, There we go. Um, I don't, I've had Kathy Corson on mine on my mind. So I was going to say the Kronos vineyard. Uh, <laughs> there you go. But, right. uh, anyway, um, got to do a Corson show. We yeah. do. I love Kathy Corson her wines. I need just, to get,
1: get her story out there yeah. to, to our audience. Cause I mean, that's a, a huge name that deserves all the recognition as a Robert Mondavi type name. Sure. I know? agree
0: fully. Uh, but anyway, not to, I digress. <laughs> Um, but always the snap on the brain with you always, uh, nap about. well, I'm just, yeah. Right. But I think that when we can put it in those terms, it helps others yeah. kind of understand what those steps are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, because I, I, all right. So I, as much as I love Riesling, I knew what you told me, but if you asked me to tell you, it would have taken me a few minutes to like, remember to get right? like, Oh yeah, it's and more more or less it's the order of it, mm-hmm. right? Like how how it goes. So um anyway.
1: So there you go. That's that's a little bit of the you know, the nomenclature on the bottle. You've got the Oberhauser, liestenberg uh, then it says Riesling, that's the grape, of course. And then the last part on the label of the wine we're drinking today is called Cabinet with a K, Cabinet. And this is what's called the Praticat level of wines. And what this, all this means, it's kind of interesting because it used to, you used to be able to equate this with sweetness right? and overall you still can, but not much anymore because there is a, been definitely a new wave and fad and style to produce drier wines here in Germany. I think global warming plays a little bit of a role in that and I just think the the wine world in general, having a taste for drier wines is play has played a role in that. But cabinet is typically the lesser of the sweet sweetness levels. Like you're gonna have less sweetness. But what what it actually means is when you harvest the grapes and you press, the must weight has to like the sugar ripeness of the must weight has to be within a certain level. At that point, as the winemaker, you can ferment to have some sweetness left over, or you can ferment fully for dryness.
0: So how would I know how the winemaker treated this cabinet?
1: So there's a couple tricks to the trade here. One of the first ones that you know you talk about in the wine store with customers to help them out with this is the alcohol level. Typically, a drier wine is going to have higher alcohol because more sugar was fermented into alcohol while a sweeter wine will have less. The alcohol on this wine is 8.5%. Pretty low. Very low. Very low. And it's a cabinet.
0: Right. So it's an earlier harvest, so there wasn't as much sugar to start with.
1: Yes. That's another great point, too. Like When we're talking about um, these Praticats, cabinet being one of them, the next level up is called Spotlasa. So Spatlesa has a more concentrated must, but you're harvesting the grapes a little bit later on the vine. And then above that is uh, Auslesa. And then it gets into Barren Auslesa. And each one of these levels, not only is it getting later in the season, so you really need Mother Nature to cooperate, but you're also dealing with less and less fruit left on the vines. And you're literally like there's just a team of workers that are handpicking almost berry by berry looking for what is perfect and what is ready to go.
0: Now swarm, swarm, <laughs>
1: swarm, swarm. And less fruit means less production too. So less production means, um, you know, usually a higher cost. There's, there's less of the wine. The demand is higher. The The conditions to make those wines are more strenuous. And um,
0: that's why when you get to the barren and ice vine kind of harvest yes. times right you're you'll see a lot of three seven fives um yeah half, for, for the, half, half bottles bottle. right because there's just not that much plus they're typically sweeter although like you said there's a trend of fermenting dry even Baron actually so which is crazy stuff blowing <laughs> i mean it's it's almost like uh
1: like i mean it's mind-blowing to wrap my head around right it's
0: almost like more like an aperitif in a way yeah. like the way that it comes off right um but the you know, in here, I it's interesting because I would still not expect, even at eight and a half percent, this to be overly sweet. Yeah. I would still expect this to have a ton of acidity and be probably perceived as off dry. Yeah. Not even to semi sweet, even though it's eight and a half percent alcohol. But if I saw a spot lisa with eight and a half percent alcohol, I would think that we're heading towards semi-sweet. There you go. Right? Because there was more sugar to begin with so when they didn't ferment more of that into alcohol there was more sugar left to make sweetness right i i don't know if i'm making a lot of sense but that's kind of the thought process that i go through yeah
1: no that makes that definitely makes sense i mean these are uh it's a very it's a much cooler climate overall in germany so you're and riesling you know you're not getting a really high high level of ripeness um you know these grapes over the course of time, these grapes typically struggle to ripen and they're planted on very steep slopes that go right down to the river. And what actually helps the grapes get ripe is the reflection of the sunlight off of the river um, that that gives them a little bit better chance to get fully ripe to make good quality wine out of. It's it's a fascinating area, the, which I've never been to, but reading about it and knowing about this stuff, it's really fascinating. Uh, the other aspect to german wine is the soils here and the the soil type basically is slate Um, this slate soil really gives these wines that kind of flinty character to them and some people will say petrol kind of note to it Um, that really comes a lot from these soils and just high levels of minerality so you know a little something first of all you mentioned ice vine earlier i want to be clear that you might see Ice Vine talking to the audience now. You guys might see Ice Vine out there in the stores, and maybe it comes from Washington State, or maybe it comes from New York or something. Niagara. Niagara, there you go. Now, the a lot of the producers that label these wines Ice Vine, they actually freeze the grapes in a freezer, right? The true Ice Vine being produced from Germany, the grapes are frozen on the vines out in Mother Nature, hanging on the vine still. And these are typically harvested around December, like sometimes on Christmas itself. And the conditions to make that kind of a wine need to be, you know, everything needs to align up. And you can imagine picking grapes in, you know, 30 degree weather on a steep slope near a river in the middle of winter to so then press them and make just a few bottles and served, you know, bottled in the half bottles like you're talking about, that's true ice fine. And those can, you know, $200, $300 a bottle is pretty, pretty much the norm.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, they'll that. rival Sautern like in terms of quality and price point yeah. oftentimes.
1: So when you see ice fine, that's 25 $30 know that it's, you know, Maybe it's great quality and everything, but it was you know made taking a little bit of a shortcut and not you know the conditions are just perfect here in Germany to actually make true ice wine. So yeah, all right, back to the wine at hand. The producer Donhoff, first of all, been around for four generations, so this is a family that has been farming uh, for a long, long time. They they started their winery. Uh, you know, maybe in the, the, the mid, you know, things got a little more serious, maybe in like the fifties or sixties. Um, and then it really started going, uh, you know, in, in the last like 20 to 30 years. So it grew from four, a four hectare property to 25 hectares. Now, they don't want to get much bigger than that because they're, they're kind of at this sweet spot for quality and, uh, production, You know, where if they take on more land, the quality might suffer, even though they might have more wine to sell. So I think the family wants to stay right around where they're at. Um, The other thing is that this producer, dude, they make nearly 30 different wines.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of them over the years that at least make it to the United States because of good relationships with those who distribute the Terry Thies portfolio yes
1: and this this so this is imported by terry theese we'll put a picture on social about that but going back to your point about looking at importers terry theese when it comes to germany is something to definitely keep your eyes out for
0: yeah i mean basically I almost look no matter what terry theese does like i'll try it just because the quality is usually that good um that portfolio is super discerning overall so I'm at least going to give it a try, but yeah, I mean, what a great importer! Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of the wheelhouse, right? Uh, is to find these multi generational family wineries to then introduce to other markets. Yep, especially sure. the United States.
1: For sure. Well put. So the the last major point that I wanted to make about Donhoff. I'm trying not to sneeze here. Maybe I need uh maybe I need the wine wand real quick. <laughs> <laughs> is so a lot of these cellars, dude, in Germany are small. Like the size of the cellar, the square footage, is small. So they only have room for so much equipment, like barrels and tanks. And when that's the case, they have to be very Uh, thoughtful and logistical and precise when it comes to how they're going to make their different wines that they make. Meaning they got to get one done and out of there before they bring another one in or more grapes in or something. Donhoff is an exception to that rule. They actually have a rather large cellar that allows them to have these 30 different wines, let's say, Or up to that amount sitting in their cellar at one time. So they can play around with this fruit from this vintage. I want to do more stainless steel and less barrel. And this fruit from this vintage, more barrel, et cetera, et cetera. And these wines can actually sit in their vessels and they're not sitting there scrambling and stressed out about space. Constraints. Totally insider behind the scenes information, but actually plays a role into the final product and the quality. The other thing about German Riesling, I talked about barrel just now. These are called Stuck. Uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, it looks like stuck. They're 1200 liter size barrels, large. That's about 135 cases of wine that can fit into this one single Stuck. They also have Doppelstuck. So times two
0: and they and they use these barrels for a long time yes
1: so we're not talking about vanilla and toast and this isn't you know um buttery like there's no you know these are bright crisp wines but some of them can rest in these large barrel for a a little bit of time a little while
0: yeah i mean it, it may impart like a little bit of body um compared to stainless steel sure um or cement i know there's a lot of cement you know, kind of coming back mm-hmm. in, in these regions, um, in Germany and, and Austria, um, for Riesling aging, yeah. uh, and fermentation. So the minerality that you get is though from a lot from the soils yes, versus from the vessels. Yes. Um, and this one is, I mean, it's young, young, young still for, but it's singing.
1: I was pretty excited to try it out, man. I've got a few of this producer's wines and, you know, t- a cabinet about 10 years old is kind of like, you know, let's check it out. Let's see what we got. But, you know, if you lay down, you know, a half a case, this, this, I think this wine has another 10 years, no problem on it. And, Easily. You know, it's the high acid acid combined with the sweetness some sugar that is acts as a preservative for these wines to age so well so there's also a you know a misconception that white wine doesn't age red wine does you can't say that you just can't because riesling will take you to the house every single time yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know it. it is like you know
0: i mean there's even a
1: gem of a wine to age and you can right. get a lot of these for a twenty dollar price point little less little more yeah. you don't have to go nuts to buy, to buy wines that, that age for a long time.
0: Yeah, I came across... A couple of years ago, I came across um, a dry Riesling from Australia that I had kind of just forgotten about. And it was about 15 years old. Yeah, right on. Um, And it was perfect. There you go. I mean, it was so amazing. And
1: even though that was dry, it didn't have the sweetness. By the way... We were talking about lower alcohol, higher alcohol. The other term that you might see on a German wine is Trocken. Trocken means dry. It's just that simple. So you can see Riesling Cabinet Trocken, Riesling Spatlese Trocken. So those were harvested to have that ripeness level, but they're fermented dry. They're made in a dry style. So yeah, the the one from Australia you're talking about probably had the word dry on it maybe. It did, yes. Um, a lot of the New World producers might say dry Riesling on it. And I've seen some producers, Chateau St. Michel comes to mind, where they put a little scale on the back of the label these days yeah. in terms of like the sweetness level of the wine to help the consumer out. But that's more in the New World and... You know, Chateau St. Michelle makes the Arroyo, which can be really quite good. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's you know less expensive grocery riesling.
0: Yeah, I mean, domestically, I'm going to Finger Lakes usually. Yeah, baby. For for uh, riesling ravines, dry riesling being one of my absolute favorites. It, it's on my Thanksgiving table pretty much every year.
1: Hey, I'm gonna say it again, man. Let's let's make it. Let's if we can be so blessed and lucky to record an episode in the finger Lakes. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: Um, so anyway, back to this stuff though, like I didn't, I kind of had my, you know, notion of what would be going on in this wine, but it yeah. is, it is so fresh and vibrant. So fresh and so clean. Uh, the um, nose gives a little bit of that, that flintiness that, but yeah. pet pe- I get it as petrol. Yeah. Um, which is, I, I love that about recently. It's one of my favorite parts is nosing. Yeah. Like I could sit and nose a riesling forever. Yeah, I feel um, that should be. Oh, you know, like a car, like you know, this they have the scents for the car. Like when you get your car washed, hey, do yeah. you want cherry or new car? Riesling should get, really be one of I them. Can I
1: get riesling? Yeah. Can Instead I, of like, can I get Gwyneth Paltrow scent? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no goop for me. Uh, so, you know, I was just drawn in immediately by this nose, this the petrol, the the kind of uh, nice ripe citrus fruit. Little bit of pithiness, you know, uh, and then the the palate was really rich and full. So I didn't know what was going to happen at first, but then explosion of acidity, that beautiful like lemon coming through, honeysuckle, um, just gorgeous flavors that I I could sit here now and and go to town on this wine because yeah. it's got just enough sweetness. To keep it interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I even got like some orange in there. It's Uh, all
1: about the balance here. Gorgeous. You know, even though you might be going into the bottle like recently, it's going to be sweet. Okay. Yeah. There's some residual sugar, but there's also acid like a mofo on these wines. And when you have that high, super high acid with that sweetness, that's balance. It's like champagne. There's sugar in champagne, but the idea is to not necessarily taste a lot of it, especially at this level when it comes to the cabinet and even the Spotlisa wines. Once you get up into Auslisa, I think, you know, it, it tends to be more of a sautern style and a dessert style wine, um, but not necessarily just for dessert. It can be paired with like, you know, savory things like foie gras and things like that. So mm, Foie
0: gras. Yeah. Um, I mean, and this just begs for just a huge plate of sushi.
1: Yeah, right on. This is great sushi wine. I think people think of Riesling all the time with sushi, but like you need you need to go somewhere kind of special. You That's know, what don't, I'm saying. Don't yeah. get your grocery store sushi with this, like <laughs> <laughs> from the jewels. Um, oh, they do OK sushi. But, you know, if, okay. you're, if when you're opening a 10 year old bottle of Donhoff, um, you know, it's time to kind of up the ante. I feel like. You know, we're we're gonna have our glass here and enjoy it. There's gonna be at least half a bottle left. I I feel like I'll have a week to figure out what to drink with this. Easily, <laughs> you know? easily. Like it is not gonna get no um, wand. Needed. Yeah, no wand needed. Another another shout out to the wine wand here. But um, what I don't know, man. I I so I think I'm gonna go spicy because you know when you have this lower alcohol and sweeter, those are great. Wines to have with spicier foods. It's it's almost the only thing that I think of, other than sparkling wine too, which tends to be a little bit lower alcohol.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you have a favorite Thai takeout, or you know, with a little bit of spice, perfect. If you've got, um, you know, like a near us, we've got a Korean fried chicken place. Yeah, this would go nicely with that because that nice spicy sauce that they put on that Mm -hmm. on that crispy chicken the acidity gets through all that sweetness counterbalances be perfect
1: yeah anything that's not you know naturally that that involves heat in the culture with with the cooking so uh indian food
0: this is gonna gonna say it doesn't all have to be asia but that's all we're going for so far
1: yeah uh mexican dishes uh so by the way the the coach so johnny just finished up his fall baseball season oh congrats yeah and he had a good season. He actually got 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 quite like turned the corner here a little bit. Nice. You know, swinging the bat harder and uh, making more plays in the field, and having more confidence and knowing the game more. His his coach, they just had an end of the year pizza party at his house, and him and his coach and his wife enjoy wine, and they got turned on to the show. So thank you so much. So I was over there. They grow their own peppers, and mm. they have a bunch of habaneros. So I took a baggie of habaneros home. Thank you, Natalie and and Justin. But what you know, I've been kind of looking at recipes and trying to figure out you know maybe what to do. And I, I I've come into these habaneros. I've got uh, a nice, awesome Riesling open now. Do you have any experience with habaneros?
0: Well, I I do, um, and I've but I've used them mostly like in in sauces and um, salsas and okay. stuff. You know, the, I actually recently smoked some honey Okay, and then made my own hot honey Nice. with that was, that's really good. You could, you know, you could actually do that um, and and then over like chicken wings.
1: Oh, nice. There we go. I love chicken wings. Yeah. One thing, that's one thing I was looking at making a sauce or, you know, chopping it up and doing like a stir fry thing with some onion garlic and other peppers maybe. And, you know, some seafood, but. Yeah. Anyway, I just love how all of a sudden I've got the recipes for um Yeah, no, that's <laughs> a, really cool. A classic dinner lined up. So Yeah, it's really um, awesome. All right.
0: So yeah, I mean I think that this was a really good primer on recently. I mean, I think we could do a I don't know, two hundred and seventy two part series and we still probably wouldn't cover everything. Yeah. If you couldn't figure it out in three days of bathing in it in that hotel room, um forty minutes on that wine pod is probably just the tip <laughs> of the iceberg but I think hopefully we've given you some good primers to try yes and if you can get your hand on some Donhoff which is not always easy because it's not exactly high production stuff yeah um please definitely do that and then reach out cuz we always love when um Mike uh, gets your messages on on the stuff that you're buying after listening to the show
1: for sure. And if enough of, if enough of you do it and reach out to us, I think maybe besides a series, maybe we just do a spinoff that Riesling pod.
0: <laughs> what do you think? Or <laughs> or we just gather us all together and have a Riesling party.
1: There we go. Love <laughs> it even more. Awesome, fun talk, and uh, you know what? What you know, just to recap, a couple takeaways. One takeaway: the only takeaway, Riesling is not always sweet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, drink more Riesling, right? Get to know your producers. Yep. Get to know your importers. Importers. And then just do, you know, just Wikipedia the the harvest levels. And remember the word trucking is dry. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of understand in there as you try different things where you can end up. And I think it's, I don't know. To me, it's one of the most fun and versatile wines on the planet.
1: Very, very versatile. Yes.
0: So, cool, man. Well, I'm glad we tackled this one.
1: Hey, Cheers.
0: Awesome. All right, everybody. We're going to wrap it up. Remember, life is short. Drink what you like tonight. Thank you for listening to That Wine Pod. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at, at That Wine Pod. And we are That Wine Podcast on Facebook. Also, check out Mike on Instagram, at Vino Mike. And Pete is at Fatman Stories. Please subscribe to That Wine Pod on your favorite podcast app and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. The music is Proto Funk by Kevin McLeod. That wine pot is a production of Paragon Media. <laughs>